Hey friend, support this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes. And you can also do that now in Spotify and leave five stars for Infertility and Me podcast. This will just help increase our show's ranking and reach so that we can continue to reach more people and more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. Now, let's get into the episode. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Infertility and Me. I am your host, Monique Farouk, infertility advocate, women's health advocate, and IVF mom to one, Omar Jr. If this is your first time listening to Infertility and Me, Welcome, 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 friend. A few quick announcements before we get into our episode today with a young lady named Lindsay Blair. If you guys aren't following on Instagram, get on it. Infertility and Me podcast, okay? Questions, comments, feedback, info at moniquefarouk.com. If you'd like to share anonymously or publicly on the show, info at moniquefarouk.com to submit yourself or you can tap the show details and go directly to the website and you can submit yourself there or you can submit from Instagram as well. Either way, I'm here for you guys. I want to hear from you. And then also join me on Patreon, you guys. Join me on Patreon. Not only would you be helping the continuation of Infertility and Me podcast, but you could be part of private community and meet other friends in the community away from and outside of social media. You wouldn't have to worry about scrolling and seeing pregnancy pictures, announcements, or all of those sorts of things. It would be very, very private and only exclusive to our Patreon community. And after you have been with the community for a few months, you will receive a very special gift of thank you from me to you for joining and supporting the show and our private community is also a part of discord chat so that we can chat with each other on a daily basis weekly basis and that is a part of your membership as well in the private community as well as being able to connect with others who have similar experiences as you and it just being an overall safe space for us to get to know each other a little bit better and we'll have our monthly zoom check-ins with one another and that also comes with the membership so join me on patreon you guys support the show and find your tribe today our guest is Lindsay blair she is certified in trauma and well as well as being a birth and bereavement doula. Lindsay and her husband suffered many, many losses beginning in their early 20s after they got married. They've been through a total of eight losses before finally getting their BFP with their twins, one girl and one boy through IVF. It was just very tumultuous, you guys, very tumultuous. So today, if you have suffered some losses along your, your path to motherhood or fatherhood or parenthood, This episode is surely to resonate and you do not want to miss it because Lindsay details for us the various things that she did to overcome and to heal and to move through all of her grief and loss and then also being a pregnant mom through RBF and how she navigated that as well. So you guys can connect with Lindsay at Catalyst for Courage on Instagram. 
Her information will be in the show details so that you can tap and go and connect with her. And so we'll be back in just a second with Lindsay. And we're back, you guys, with our girl, Lindsay Blair. Lindsay girl, thank you so much for coming on the show today and speaking to us about all of your all of your losses and then how you got to be a mama. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So you guys, Lindsay's been through quite a lot, like I spoke to you about in the intro. So we're going to get right into it. So Lindsay, tell us how you met hubby. How did that all go down? We are college sweethearts. So we both went to Clemson University. And we met, I believe it was our junior year. So we didn't meet when we started college, but we before we graduated, we met. And we became fast friends. We honestly were friends for two years, and I didn't even consider him as, as an option. Um, he's a little bit younger than me, and I have two younger brothers. And so I think there was a part of me that was, you know, anybody who was younger than me, even by a day, was... Yeah, you know, friend zone instantly. <laughs> yeah, um, and so sure. I didn't even think about it. And then some other friends started kind of pointing it out to me that we really had a lot in common that we, you know, had mm-hmm. I thought about it, had he thought about it. And long story short, we started dating and we got married very shortly after we started dating. We started dating in August of mm-hmm. 2012 and we were married by October of 2013. So <laughs> once we knew, oh. we knew. Was your anniversary date October? October the thirteenth. Oh, that's right after my birthday. My birthday's in October. Oh, oh. October's a great I love month. October weddings are so beautiful. Yes, weddings are so beautiful in October. I love mm-hmm. it. So when you guys got married, and like while you were in college, us '80s babies, we were the poster children for birth control, mm-hmm. and they pushed it on us hard. And in the late '70s, babies too. And so. Were you one of the ones who always prevented pregnancy, did everything you can to protect yourself, of course? And so when the time came that you guys got married, had you guys discussed um, having children? Was- I did. I did always know that I wanted to be a mom. I also had a, a three to five year plan for myself and for we, David and I did together. We wanted to wait at least three to five years because we got married so young. We were really still, I think we were 22 and 23 when we got married. So we were young. and you know, I kind of thought that I would want to have kids before I was 30, but we were in no hurry. We wanted to spend some time kind of building our marriage and building our relationship. Um, so I was on birth control when we got married and I was on birth control, you know, took it religiously. I'm not very, um, organized. At least I used to not be. I'm a lot more organized now that I've gotten older, but I was kind of flippant with my birth control. I would sometimes forget to take it or I would, you know, instead of taking it at the same time every day, I may take it in the morning one day and at night the next day. So unexpectedly, when we were sick, married for only six months before either of us really had any our real job yet, um, or even had graduated college, we were still in school, we found out that we were pregnant, which was a huge surprise. Um, my mom went through three years of infertility. My grandmother actually went through infertility. So I kind of always suspected that I may have some some problems. So we were shocked mm-hmm. that we were preventing pregnancy and that we got pregnant so so easily. We were terrified, you know, because we this wasn't part of our plan, but we quickly were very very excited about the idea because we knew that we always wanted to be parents. We knew that we always wanted to have children. It 
just, you know, was happening quicker than we thought. But we were then once again shocked when just a few weeks into our pregnancy at about eight and a half weeks, right before our first ultrasound appointment, um, we actually, you know, had a miscarriage and being so young and naive a little bit about that, it, it was really, it was just really shocking for us. Um, it was really traumatic. It was not at all like I expected it to be from what the doctor explained. And we were just, um, just kind of felt like we had the the rug yanked out from under us. Absolutely. I can imagine so. And then like at that age, even you guys being in a marriage and in a really committed relationship, it's like not really thinking about kids that much. Like it's, you're going out partying at bars as a couple together. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're having the best time of your freaking life, you know? And so, yeah, I can see how that would be like really devastatingly shocking and just hurtful because you start getting used to that idea, right? That's how it happens. We get pregnant and we get used to the idea and then the, the, we miscarry and the baby doesn't survive, right? Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. So where did you go from there? Did you guys begin to pursue parenthood more after that or did you just spend time with your marriage getting to know each other more as a married couple and just healing from that at that point I feel like something was unlocked in us and we just Mm. so desperately wanted to have a baby you know with us a living child to to raise and to love we had all this love for a child and no child here on earth to love and so we you know at that point were trying to conceive again and that became you know part of our journey. And we knew that having another pregnancy couldn't replace, you know, the baby that we lost, but we so desperately like wanted to be pregnant again. And so we did conceive again in October of that year. And so we had our miscarriage in May of 2014 and we conceived again in September. And unfortunately at six and a half weeks, we experienced our second miscarriage. And at that point, our doctor referred us to a infertility specialist for recurrent pregnancy loss. Because with our age and medical history, she said that one loss can be not normal, but it can be common, you know, one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage. But having two in a row at 23 years old when everything else looks normal and fine is something is worth looking into. So at that point, we began seeing a fertility specialist and just continued on with our journey and I can go into as many details as you as you want to know, but we saw a fertility specialist and went on for another six years experiencing unexplained recurrent pregnancy loss. So your doctor, I really like that your doctor was very proactive about getting you guys some answers as to your recurrent losses like that in such a short frame of time. Because it was within the same year, right? The first two that you lost? It was. They were about six months apart. Yeah. See, I, I love that. I love, I love, love, love. Shout out to your doc back then for being proactive about that, especially with your age. So when you guys saw the specialist, then what did she or he do to try to get you guys some answers at that point? Yeah, when we when we saw our reproductive endocrinologist, he started by doing, you know, all of the basic blood work, checking thyroid levels, checking different hormone levels, checking um, just, you know, any looking for any indicators in my blood work that could explain. Um, I think he even looked at chromosomal, you know, markers in my husband and I just to see if there was anything, anything there. And every test that that he ran came back completely normal. And then we started looking for anatomical issues that could cause recurrent losses. Like if there, if I had anything in my uterus, if I had any scar tissue or a deviated septum, looking at my tubes, if there was any issues with my tubes and every test that, that was done came back perfectly clear. And so the only theory that he had at the time was that my cycles had always been a little bit irregular and tended to be a little bit longer than the normal 28-day standard, which I don't know if anybody actually has a 28-day cycle. I feel like no, nobody really has exactly 28 days. Maybe they do. 
but mine tends to fall anywhere between 30 and you know 37 days kind of somewhere in that ballpark and so his theory was let's try putting you on some medication just to regulate your cycle and get you to ovulate a little bit earlier and maybe that would would help and so we tried that for a few cycles i think it took us two or three rounds and we conceived again and we had our third miscarriage and then we had our fourth miscarriage and then we found out that we were pregnant a fifth time and things were looking okay at first. It was the HCG was kind of doubling like it was supposed to, which in the past we've kind of had some early indicators with the HCG levels and the progesterone levels that things didn't look right. Um, the progesterone levels this time did not look great, but the HCG was looking good and I was on progesterone supplements. And we came time to have an ultrasound and we did the ultrasound and we could not find anything. There was no sign of a pregnancy at all in my uterus. And so at that point, he was very suspicious that it might be an ectopic pregnancy. And we did determine that it was an ectopic pregnancy and I had to have emergency surgery the ne- the very next morning where I lost my um, fallopian tube and my fifth child. And so that was, you know, another another layer of the grief and of the trauma just one minute you're pregnant and the next minute you're having surgery and realizing that ectopic pregnancy is a life-threatening condition. And so that was, that was really hard. And then also knowing, okay, now I only have one tube. What is that going to mean for my natural fertility? And surprisingly, we, we actually did conceive with one tube. Um, I think two cycles after I had healed from my surgery and unfortunately we had our our sixth pregnancy loss. And so it just kind of felt like a, a merry-go-round that we were stuck on with no answers, with no reason. And then little by little, different pieces of my fertility that were good and that were working for me just kept, you know, getting, getting taken in a sense. So it just kind of felt like, you know, it was one, it was bad news after bad news after bad news, just over and over and over again. Going through all of that so young, Lindsay, so very young, dealing with that type of trauma. Oh my gosh. I know you probably had a very strong support system with family, right? Friends, especially your mom, since she had been through some infertility as well. And it must have been really tough being a newlywed and dealing with all of that at the same time. Oh my yeah. gosh. So how did you guys navigate that as a couple and you as an individual trying to be this new yeah. wife, you know, trying to come into this life together? Yeah, it was it definitely impacted our our relationship and our marriage. I think that we all go through things differently, even if we share an experience with a partner, with a loved one, and we went through the exact same thing. It, we all process it differently, and we we need different things. And we need different you know support in different ways. And I'm very grateful for our family and our friends. They really wanted to support us, but I think sometimes it's really hard to know how to support somebody when you're going through the journey, when you're going through infertility or going through pregnancy loss. And for us, like we just didn't know where we fit because. Here we were at a fertility clinic week after week, month after month with, you know, surrounded by women who are hoping to see a positive pregnancy test. And for us that, you know, we've seen a bunch of positive pregnancy tests, but it was like a unique form of infertility where we could conceive, you know, on our own with pretty little help or support or interventions, but we couldn't sustain like the pregnancy. And so it was just kind of this weird, this weird place where I didn't know really where I fit. Like, did I, did I fit in the infertility community? Did I fit in the recurrent pregnancy loss community? 
because that, you know, there's a lot less people, fortunately, in that community. I think it's one in a hundred is the statistics for that, whereas infertility is one in eight. But I just didn't know like where, where I fit and where my story was. And so that was, that was hard too, because you hear a lot when you go through pregnancy loss and recurrent pregnancy loss, even while you're trying to conceive and are seeing, seeking fertility treatments, you hear a lot of, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Well, at least, um, you know, your body can oh, function yeah. at least, at least, at least, you know, you should be happy. At least you've seen a positive pregnancy test. And here I am like, well, I don't know if I'll ever see a baby, you know, like I'm, I feel the same as you, like that hasn't seen a positive pregnancy test. Like it, the likelihood of bringing a baby home doesn't seem, doesn't seem like in the cards for me right now. And, you know, after going through recurrent loss for years and years, and we did go on to have several more miscarriages and even a second ectopic pregnancy where I once again went to emergency surgery and lost my second tube. And so now, now Mm -hmm. I truly belonged in the infertility community because that was my, you know, again, like I just felt like pieces of my fertility were, you know, taken, you know, one by one, like losing my tubes and losing just the ability to conceive without assisted reproductive technology, which I'm so grateful for. Thank God for IVF or I would not have my miracle babies. Without that, I can't, can't conceive on my own. And so that was just, you know, another layer again of the grief and the trauma and the loss that we experienced. But that was a hard thing of just kind of determining where, where I fit and not really feeling like, like my story looked like anybody else's stories that I was seeing at the time or that I knew at the time when I was going through it. That's a great question that you asked there with where do I fit in? And I think that a lot of other women and couples who are experiencing reoccurring pregnancy loss and not necessarily having a reason as to why it's happening, because you don't have a PCOS or an endometriosis or fibroid diagnosis, whereas though there's some kind of insight and awareness of the, you know, this possibly being a contributing factor to your reoccurring losses and such. So I think. Um, yeah, I empathize for you guys in that way. And I'm pretty sure that there's somebody listening that can resonate with that. And I think we go, you know, what's so funny that we go through life in adolescence and teenagers and even younger than that. And we're always looking for that place where we fit in, right? And you just know when you're an adult, you finish school, you do all those things and you're at this company and you got this culture or you're building a business and you're building your own culture. You just know that you're going to have your people in your tribe and you're going to be able to live life knowing exactly who you are and where you're going. And then when things like this happen, it makes you question everything, right? So being a new grad, going through all this trauma, and I did want to ask you, were you having early miscarriages like within the first trimester or were they in second trimester? Yes, they were all first trimester losses. So some of them very, very early, like between four to six weeks. So, you know, just seeing a positive, like a positive pregnancy test is the only proof, you know, that I have that they existed. And then the latest losses that we had were right at eight and a half, nine weeks. So it was all very, very early. We did get to see, you know, several of them via ultrasound and see their heartbeat and things like that, which was, which was good to be able to see, but also hard too, you know, because then once you find out that you're losing the baby, then it's, you know, you have more memories mm-hmm. and more, mm-hmm. more of a bond that you've gotten to know them a little bit more. And so that, that was really hard too, but yes, all of my losses were um, first trimester losses. Did you guys start seeking mental health therapy at any point 
Can you help with that? Oh, absolutely. I don't, my only regret as far as therapy goes is that we didn't seek therapy sooner. I think we waited maybe three or four years into our seven-year journey before we saw a therapist. And we both you know, we, we did lots of therapy. We did individual therapy. He was seeing his therapist. I was seeing my therapist every week. And then we also did couples therapy because when you go through infertility and loss, you know, like it impacts everything. It impacts your relationship. It impacts um, your sex life. Like that's something that I was totally not expected for that my sex life was going to be so impacted and that sex was Mm -hmm. now triggering. And, you know, like it reminded me of this act that was supposed to be fun. And now, you know, it feels transactional or now it just reminds me that we can't get pregnant on our own. Or now it just reminds me of the time that we did get pregnant with our baby who we miscarried. And so it just became really triggering. And so we, we actually sought a therapist specifically to help us navigate that part of it because that was something that we missed and we grieved because here we were newlyweds and our entire marriage pretty much has been wrapped up in the grief and loss of infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss. Ooh, that's a lot. That's the unspoken truth right there. Your sex life, man. Every time, unfortunately, as a woman, especially if you're the one with the diagnosis, heterosexual or LGBTQ plus IA, doesn't matter. It is just it is just that it is a reminder of what won't happen. Wow, yeah, mm-hmm. that's um, yeah, that just hit me really because I have struggles with that, you know. And even though we're not trying for a sibling and such like that, like I was looking for that ray of hope too. Like maybe this will be the time, the miracle. And then for you losing mm-hmm. both of your fallopian tubes and even just the one, I feel like your story has a little bit of everything in it, girl. Like. You got twins, you got the BF positive, you got fallopian tube issues, you know, because of the ectopic pregnancies. Like, oh my gosh, it's just so much. You did IVF. We did IVF. Like, you got pregnant naturally. It's a little bit of everything in your journey. Oh my gosh, what a whirlwind. But I'm so glad that you guys got help. I'm an advocate for it. And um, I preach it all day, every day, because no matter what you think about, because some people make that this, that that disclaimer like, well, therapist is going through things too. Okay, but so what? But they have the tools that you need, right? A coach has the tools that you need. They've been taught these things to help you. So kudos to you guys for doing that and um, doing it when you felt called to do it. So for the loss of your tube, tell us how that felt specifically in regards to as a woman. It's really, it's complicated in a way with ectopic pregnancy, I think is, it's definitely, you know, not as common as other forms of early pregnancy loss. And I think sometimes people can kind of separate it in their mind as maybe not a legit pregnancy because it doesn't have a chance to survive, which is true. Like that is a fact, like an ectopic pregnancy in a fallopian tube cannot survive, cannot develop into a full-term baby. Um, And it is a life-threatening condition for a mother, but it's still a baby and it's still a very wanted pregnancy in many, many cases. And so you're in this unique position when you're going through that of you're now signing consent forms to terminate your pregnancy, your much wanted pregnancy in order to save your own life. And so you're having to make decisions that don't normally have to make in early pregnancy loss. You know, the, the decision is made for you. You lose the baby and that's what happens. But with ectopic pregnancies, like my second ectopic pregnancy, we saw them on the ultrasound. I actually, you're given a couple of options. Usually if you okay. can catch it early enough, they can try to treat the pregnancy with a, a chemotherapy drug that targets rapidly dividing cells. And so 
we tried that with our second ectopic pregnancy to, to try to, in an attempt to preserve my tube because they couldn't see the, the baby on the ultrasound. They couldn't find the pregnancy. They thought maybe we caught it early enough. You can try this chemotherapy drug and see if that can save your tube and, you know, terminate the pregnancy. And so we tried that. And unfortunately the HCG levels were still just shooting up. We had to get them drawn every couple of days. And so the pregnancy wasn't being terminated. And so I pushed actually for a second ultrasound because I was just like fed up. I'm like, I'm not going to do another chemotherapy injection because it's has terrible side effects. I was miserable. It delays every time you have an injection of it, it delays the amount of time that you can try again because you now have chemotherapy in your system. You have to wait until that, you know, months for that to get out so that you can try again. And I was just like, I need to, we need to figure this out. Like, where is this pregnancy? And so we pushed for a second ultrasound and I went by myself. My husband was at work and they, you know, the doctor was like, well, I I don't see it. I don't see it. And then the ultrasound tech was like, wait, what's that? And lo and behold, on the screen, you see an uh, seven and a half week baby heart beating, growing, and then there's a pool of blood. And so they could tell that it was in my tube and that my tube had now ruptured. And so at that point, they're shoving consent forms in my face saying, you need to, we're taking surgery right now. You need to sign this waiver, you know, call your husband, call whoever you need. We need to go right now. And so when that a whirlwind, and so I think sometimes it's hard when you have an ectopic pregnancy to even process what's going on and even process the grief and the loss because there's so much of a, that heightened, you know, state of emergency that's kind of going on when you're being rushed to surgery. And so, but after the, in the aftermath, I don't think that I really was able to grieve the loss of my tubes and what that meant for me as a woman until like a little bit later after I had, you know, kind of settled from the trauma of that and the shock of that. But just that feeling of knowing that, you know, like, my tubes are gone permanently. Like that can't be reversed. That can't be undone. And just that identity that I think that as women, a lot of us carry that this is what we are created to do. This is what we are meant to do. We have these body parts that are supposed to be able to conceive and give birth. And whenever those body parts are taken from us in in a way like that, it's, it just kind of, it does, it causes some feelings of man, like, you know, who am I? And what does, what does this mean? Like, am I, am I a woman? Which the answer is, of mm-hmm. course, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need, we don't need anatomy mm-hmm. to define, to define our womanhood. Our womanhood exactly. is within us. And, but it doesn't always feel true in the moment. Sometimes you, you know, can, can grieve that and can feel less than because a part of you is missing. Yeah, definitely. And I often, because I see so many, I meet so many women like you have had to have certain organs, uh, reproductive organs removed, I always wondered what, how much more of a layer of trauma that adds to you and how you feel. Just decided to take a break. We had never actually taken a real break in our journey. We had taken the medically recommended breaks mm-hmm. before trying mm-hmm. again, but we were pretty much just chasing this dream of um, trying to conceive and have a baby as soon as you know time would allow and hoping that, and praying that things would work out. And at this point, we just were like, we need to, to breathe, you know, we need a second to actually focus on our marriage, focus on our relationship, focus on our work, focus on just us as a family of two, and realizing that we already are a family. And I think a lot of people, I I can't stand it when people say things like, oh, when are you going to try to have a family? And it's like, no, like, if you are 
in a committed relationship, like you are a family, like the two of you, you are a family. You don't, you know, having children doesn't make a family. They are in addition to a family. Your family can grow with children, but children are not a qualifier for defining what a family is. And so I think like that was really, really good for us, my husband and I, to just take some time. And we didn't put a, we didn't put a a limit on it or a length on it. We just said, we need to just stop until this feels better for us. And until we feel like we can get some healing and catch our breath again, because for me, I could not imagine being pregnant again, just the trauma and just all of that. I could not imagine another loss. Like I truly thought it would kill me. I was like, if I have another loss, I don't think that I'll survive. And, you know, that was just kind of a wake up call that this isn't healthy for me right now. Like I need to prioritize my mental health. I need to prioritize my physical health. I need to prioritize my relationship health, like with my husband and all of that stuff. So it ended up being almost two years before we kind of felt like, you know, taking another step. And during that time we were, you know, kind of holding an open hand. We knew that we wanted to have children but we were kind of like exploring all kinds of options. We were like, should we try with a, like a, using a gestational carrier? We had some family members who reached out to us and said that they would consider doing that to help us. If, if that was something that we wanted to do, we were considering adoption. We were considering, you know, all kinds of things. We were considering foster care. We had actually fostered um, a few years prior. And so we were just kind of like thinking through it and open to whatever path felt right for us. And, but we weren't spending really any time or energy, like talking about it anymore. We just kind of took those conversations off the table while we were really focusing on our, our healing. When you guys were on your break, what sorts of things that you do to, I guess, reconnect with one another as a couple, just as an individual, as a person, how do you felt you grew during that time? One thing, I mean, we were in therapy, so that was, that was really good and really helpful. Actually changed jobs. I started a new job. And that was kind of good to just have like something new, you know, I had a new energy for it, a new, just a new path. It was the same field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was the same field that I was already in. A goal that wasn't having a baby. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Something else to kind of focus on and focus your energy on. And then together we just really focused on, on dating each other because we were still young and you're never too young to date your partner. And we just had fun. We played games. We, we traveled, we went to Greece, we explored. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. We played on the lake, went hiking, you know, like just, we both love water sports. So we just kind of focused on having fun because I think when you're consumed, which we were with infertility and loss and grief and all of that, it's hard. You kind of forget how to have fun. And so we just kind of spent a lot of time relearning that together and like how do we have fun because we should be having fun you know relationships are supposed to be fun and life is meant to be enjoyed and even in even in the midst of hard things you can still give yourself permission to have a good day you know we should expect that we will have good days that's quotable (laughs) that's quotable right there I love that I like that in the midst of struggles yeah I love that that's a good reminder, and I'm loving all of this fun stuff that you guys were doing. Hopefully, somebody will get a, a, an idea <laughs> to do something like that for themselves. Because you know, like in the midst of treatment cycles, um, going through IVF, sometimes people will take breaks. Like, okay, we got this quick week we have right here. We got this space and window time. Okay, so you guys heard it here. Lindsay's giving you some ideas. If you got some break time, go ahead and take a break. Go to Greece, do something. 
<laughs> go hiking or something, you know. I love that. And so, when, how was it going to the going back to the conversation of trying again? Because you guys are close to thirty by this time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we kind of looked at each other one day, and because we kind of would check in every now and then, and just check in. Hey, how are you feeling about you know infertility and loss and next steps, all that stuff? Like, how are you feeling? How are you? But, you know, we would kind of keep it intentional and keep it short and brief, like, okay, we're going to check in once a week or once a month or, you know, whatever it was. And it was in the fall of 2019 that we just kind of like looked at each other. And I remembered saying to David, I don't know if I'm insane because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So maybe I am actually insane, but I've kind of been feeling like, I want to try again to do another embryo transfer, knowing all the complicated feelings that would come with that, knowing that the likelihood of us experiencing another loss were very high and, you know, knowing all of that. But I felt like I had healed to where I felt like another loss wouldn't kill me. It wouldn't destroy me. It would, it would hurt. And I of course didn't want that to happen, but I, at this point in my healing, I knew that, that I would, I would survive and I would, you know, that I was resilient enough to where the loss like wouldn't destroy me and it wouldn't destroy our relationship. And so I was willing to take the risk. And David actually kind of laughed and he said, honestly, I've been kind of thinking that too. So we were on the same page. Like, yes, yeah. Right. <laughs> Make my job easier. Yeah. Which doesn't always happen too. And so, you know, that, you know, we always, we haven't always been on the same page every step of our journey, but for this step we were. And I think that that's, that's a hard thing to navigate to with couples. If you're not, if you want one thing and your spouse wants, or your partner wants something else, um, just kind of, you know, how do you, how do you get through that? And so thankfully for us with this, we were on the exact same page. And so we talked to our doctor and went back to the clinic and all the feelings, you know, that come when you go back to the clinic again, it's just feels fresh all over again. Complete nostalgia. Yeah, Yeah. just all the same emotions that you felt sitting in the waiting room and the same ultrasound rooms and same doctor. And I just remember sitting down with our doctor and asking him again, are we insane? Like, is this crazy? And he said, I don't think so. And he said, you know, like nothing really has changed in two years. And that was my second question was, has anything changed in two years? Is there any new since we've been here, is there any new science or new protocols, you know, any tests that we can look at for recurrent loss to, you know, maybe help make this outcome different? And he said, you know, there really isn't. And, but I still think that this could work for you. We had already done IVF three years prior. um, So we had embryos, you know, gratefully that were in storage and we had already done like the genetic testing on the embryos because that was a theory. That was why we did IVF to begin to begin with. I didn't even, um, I hadn't lost both of my tubes yet when we had done IVF. And originally, and the theory was that maybe just an abnormal amount of our embryos are chromosomally abnormal. And so maybe, you know, he expected to see when we did the PGS testing that most of them would be abnormal, but maybe we could find, you know, one that was normal. But oddly enough... <laughs> They were mostly normal. They were 80% normal, just which is, you know, typical for, for any healthy statistics for people that are our age that we're trying to conceive. So that was a little bit surprising. But so we had embryos in storage and he even was willing to transfer too, which our clinic absolutely does not do, um, especially with PGS tested embryos. But he was willing mm-hmm. to do it 
for us if that's what we wanted to do. And that's kind of what we decided. And so we did just the standard, he calls it the gold standard protocol for embryo transfer. Just, you know, we had done it before with our first embryo transfer. This was actually our third embryo transfer. And against all odds, it stuck and we have our our twins as a result. Yeah, so you have a girl and a boy moving into motherhood and being pregnant. How was it with pregnancy? Did you go all in and just took it one day at a time and you said, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy, try to enjoy this pregnancy after so many losses and going through IVF and all the things? I certainly tried to enjoy pregnancy. I took all the pictures, you know, every week, just did the, I had these, um, this pair of leggings that I had bought, I think three years prior that had storks on them and like had like blue and pink little little baskets that the storks were carrying. And so those were my leggings that I had worn to all of my embryo transfers. I wore them the day of my egg retrieval. So they were, you know, a staple. And I knew that one day if I ever became pregnant, you know, and was able to carry a pregnancy to term that I would wear those leggings for like my weekly progress pictures. So I did that, but pregnancy after loss is no joke. You know, it's just, I don't care how much therapy I did, you know, like that anxiety is going to be there. It's just going to be a part of it there's not really a way to escape that when you've, when you're pregnant after loss, or even if you're pregnant after infertility, like so much goes into that and so much waiting that I feel like everybody who's pregnant or most people who are pregnant after infertility or loss are just, you're just kind of waiting on the other shoe to drop. You're just kind of waiting for the inevitable bad Mm -hmm. news because Mm -hmm. that's been your experience so far. It's just so much hope deferred and hope delayed. Like you've put hope into treatments and then they haven't worked and you thought that you would be able to get pregnant when you wanted to and you weren't able to, or you expected to have a baby nine months after seeing a positive pregnancy test and instead seeing a negative pregnancy test sooner and you're having a miscarriage. And so that's tough. And pregnancy after loss for me was challenging, like, you know, arguably the same kind of level of challenging as going through a loss was like just battled the anxiety, you know, daily. And So I just, I did, I took it one day at a time and just tried to, you know, practice as many grounding and formations and just practicing, you know, choosing hope and just trying to believe like today I'm pregnant today, my babies are okay. And, and we had some scares during our pregnancy. And so it wasn't, it was a fairly easy pregnancy considering Mm -hmm. like I never, I wasn't at risk of um, preterm labor. I wasn't put on bed rest or I wasn't hospitalized or anything like that, that multiple pregnancies can be very high risk, but ours was not any more high risk than normal. But we did have, we did have some bleeding early on at six weeks and right before our first ultrasound. And so I just knew at that moment that I was having a miscarriage. I just knew because it was so familiar. It was the same symptoms and I never had any morning sickness which maybe I'm just one of the lucky ones that never has morning sickness. Ooh, that's an anomaly right <laughs> I there. I know, but not, I've never had <laughs> morning sickness. pregnancy at that? At all, yeah, not not even a little bit. And so I was concerned about that. But six weeks, we went in for bleeding, and they had like a subchorionic hematoma and that was causing some bleeding. And then we did find out that we were initially expecting triplets. One of our embryos split early, very early on and didn't progress past like about four or five weeks. And so that was kind of a mixed, a mixed emotion too, with that, because we found out we were having twins and that there were two hearts beating. And then we also found out that there was a third baby that, um, that didn't develop. And so there was a little bit of, you know, that grief and 
joy kind of mixed together. Mm -hmm. Um, But then Mm -hmm. I think because of that early loss in our twin pregnancy, you kind of expect like, oh, well, something has gone wrong. Like, you know, that you kind of have expected or seen the reality that you could lose one of your babies, you know, while you're pregnant with a healthy one. And so the fear was that we could lose one or both of the twins at any point. And then we had another bleeding scare at 16 weeks. And then we had, um, I started having contractions at 23 weeks that turned out to be Braxton Hicks. But so I, I went, I would go to triage. I went to triage, I think three times OB triage when I was pregnant. Just you knew it more well than you should have, that you, than you wanted to. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I had a handheld Doppler that whenever I would feel anxious, I would, you know, be able to check their heartbeats that I ordered online. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, you gotta do what you gotta mm-hmm. do. You got to do what you got to do. I did some of the same things I had. I pulled out one of my old nursing, like I wasn't an RN nurse, but I worked in the nursing field. And when I was in my early 20s and I was in the geriatric aspect of things and pulled out one of my stethoscopes and was listening for the heartbeat in the second trimester. So I resonate with that. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You have to do what you have to do for sure to get through it because pregnancy after loss is just and after infertility, it's just hard. Yeah, yeah, it's very hard. And I had blood scares, bleeding scares like you did. I had two of them. And then the third one was when I went to prematurely with my son. So I get it, girl. And then you had double pregnancy. I do want to reiterate what you said earlier. I think that's an important part to also highlight is when you said, even though you do all of the treatment, as far as getting yourself help with the therapist and the coach, somebody to help you emotionally deal with things. Like I want to reiterate what you said, stated that even though you're doing the work to get help, don't be surprised if those emotions rise back up. And remind you guys, don't beat yourself up when they start to arise again, because you're human. Right. And I think we forget that. Like I think we forget that even though we've come so far with healing, those things will still try to come back up because when you lose babies and if you lose a partner, if you lose anybody in your life, pain subsides, but it truly never leaves you in a way, you know? And I think that's that's so true because with pregnancy after loss specifically, mm-hmm. and I'm sure with infertility too, that, you know, hasn't been my story. So I don't want to speak too much to that because I don't truly know. I truly don't know what that's like, but I'll speak from my experience with pregnancy after loss. It's so hard because sometimes people dismiss your fears and your anxieties and because, oh, well, the chances of you know, this going wrong are very, very low. And the chances of that going wrong are very, very low. You don't need to be worried about that. But when you've been pregnant before and you've experienced loss, like you've already lived the worst case scenario. Like the thing that's not likely to happen, one in a hundred recurrent pregnancy loss like that. That's only one in a hundred people. Like you normally hear statistics like that and you kind of think, oh, well, I'm good, you know? But when you have been that one in a hundred, or that one in eight, or that one in four, your experience of getting bad news or of of loss has been like 100% of your experience. Like that 1% starts to feel a whole lot like 100%. And so it's normal to feel anxious after, you know, when you're pregnant after loss or after infertility, that's completely normal because your experience has been to hear bad news and for things to go wrong. And so it makes sense. And I work now, I'm a fertility coach and a birth and bereavement doula. And so I tell my clients all like all the time that we prepare for the ups and the downs. We prepare that this is going to be really, really hard. You're going to have hard days. You're going to have anxious thoughts. You're going to have, um, you know, reminders of your loss or of your experience. And so we know that that's coming. And so we just prepare for how are we going to get through it? How are we going to get through it today? How are we going to get through it for the next five minutes? And sometimes we break it down because thinking of nine months of 
feeling anxiety every single day can seem suffocating and completely exhausting. But if we can, we can get through five Mm -hmm. minutes, like let's get through this hour. You're feeling anxious right now. Let's just get through this hour. Let's just get through the rest of this day. Let's just make it until dinner time. Let's just make it until the morning. If you're feeling anxious at night, like let's just wait, you know, let's just make it through to 8am when you can call your doctor as soon as the doctor's office opens. And so if you break it down, it can into bite-sized chunks. It can just be a little bit easier to manage and think about it that way. But I think if we expect that we're going to that those thoughts are going to come. Hopefully the goal is that they don't completely overwhelm you and, you know, affect your ability to function in your day-to-day life that you can still enjoy your life. But just knowing that those things are going to come and preparing for them and having a strategy to have for how to get through them can be just really, really helpful. And it was for me. That's how, that's how I got through my pregnancy after loss. 100%. If you are in this community, you are seen, you are loved, you are supported, you are not alone. I know that these journeys of infertility and pregnancy loss and just all the many diagnoses and nuances that come along with that can feel really, really isolating. And your story might not look like mine. My story may not look like yours. And that's okay. We We are a part of this amazing community that I wish nobody ever had to be a part of. But there is real sisterhood here. There is real support here. And I just want you to know more than anything else that you're not alone. And if you did want to connect with me, as I mentioned, I'm a certified fertility coach, trauma specialist, and full spectrum doula. So I work with people all on the journey of trying to conceive, who have experienced loss or are going through a loss, are pregnant again after a loss, or are pregnant after infertility all the way through postpartum support. So wherever you are on your journey, if you just feel like you need a little extra support, I tell all of my clients, you don't need me to get through this. You don't need a coach or a doula to survive this. You are resilient. You've been through so much. You've been surviving every day and getting through this without me. But if that support is something that you want, I would love to walk alongside of you and support you. And so my business is called Catalyst for Courage. And you can find the website catalystforcourage.com. My Instagram is at catalystforcourage. My business account is full of, I share a lot of tips and tricks for getting through IVF and trying to conceive and going through loss and pregnancy after loss. So if that sounds like something that you would find support in, I would absolutely love to connect with you. Well, thank you so much, Lindsay, for sharing with us your story for motherhood and giving us a bit of hope and encouragement today as well as uh, just being a voice girl for for all of us and for those coming after us, which is going to be the key component here, those coming after us, you know, and still in the thick of things. And thank you, friends, for tuning in to Infertility and Me. You guys know where to find me at Infertility and Me Podcast on Instagram, as well as our private Patreon community. You guys know where to find me. And I will have all of Lindsay's details in the show notes for you guys to tap and go and connect with her on Instagram and or through her website. And it's going to be in the show details whether you're on YouTube or watching or listening on your favorite audio platform. So that's it for today, guys. I hope this gets you over your hump for the week. Peace and blessings.